Namaste. We are with the mother's prayers and meditations as part of the collected works of the mother. We are preparing for the mother's 150th year from now onwards. <laughs> whole life of preparation won't be enough, but still. So, um, this book is actually an unparalleled document. I don't know what word to use. It is a document in the sense it's records of mother's diaries. Uh, it's not scripture in the way it is. We, we are accustomed to understanding scripture. But it is a living and real scripture. The reason why I say so, if you read a scripture, it will describe things in a methodical way as philosophy, as, uh, you know, principles, etc., etc. But uh, somewhere it is in the mind. It, you have to then apply it in, in practice. So when you apply in practice, there are issues. Like, for instance, when I am working, I tend to forget what about circumstances? How do I make a decision? How do I know this is the right thing to do? Etc. Etc. In real life. Because yoga unfolds in real time. Yoga is not a theory. One can read any amount of books on yoga. One can give number of talks on yoga. One can write books on yoga. But yoga is practice in real time. Where so many things come together and they have all be, to be turned into the fire of yoga uh, and transmuted. So this is what we see in the mother's prayers and meditation. So it's uh, <coughs> it is a living example of how one proceeds in yoga through a different set of circumstances which meet us in everyday life. And uh, we were we were uh, reading some prayers of 1913. Now I'll read a prayer of uh, December end. So. You see, we all have New Year and somebody may ask this question, uh, what do we do on a New Year from the yogic point of view? So, we, we do all kinds of things. Uh, I mean, I'm not talking of the extreme of party and all. Some people fix a time for meditation, they play mother's music, etc., etc. But what should be the attitude, which is the most important aspect? It's not about, uh, you know, six o'clock, Coming together and meditating together. That's wonderful when, you know, mother is there. It's, it's. But something else. Another aspect which many people go into this mental thing. But I have another new year. Somebody else has this. In India you have six, seven new years. At least I think. So my take is very simple. Celebrate all of them. What is the problem? I mean, but in that true spirit. But right in the beginning in a prayer of December 29, 1913. She says... O Lord, grant that this collective convention of the end of the year may be for us an opportunity for finishing at once with the whole mass of ties and attachments, illusions and weaknesses that have no longer any reason for existence in our life. The beauty is that she says it is a collective convention. What does it matter? Some people will have one collective convention, somebody will have another. It's a convention. After all, it's like the same. Which child of um, uh, Devaki is the eighth one? You know, that's when Kans gets confused. He says, okay, let me finish all of them. So, basically, it's a convention. You may pick up. Now, in different ages, humanity has picked up a convention. Otherwise, as such, the seasons change in a very different way. Um, Arthur does not say that today is now I am closing my account book. No, it doesn't say that. It's something which very beautifully merges. But she says because it's a collective convention, all over the world people take it that now a new leaf is turning. Why can't we use it in the right way? And what is that use of that uh, change? She says we should finish off all the ignorant attachments, illusions, weaknesses which have no more reason to exist. And then this comes very powerful. We must at each moment shake off the past like falling dust so that it may not soil the virgin path which also at each moment opens before us. Means we have travelled the journey in a certain way. But she is using the word virgin path. Each moment the unexpected is before us. And that is the path. So it's not like we are doing things in a in the way it has been taught in a book. So that's why it is a virgin path. 
and what do we do when there is we are traversing a new path we have a tendency to use the past to apply it here but who knows what the divine wants at this given point of time to be like that like a blank page completely open not being tied up by the past in making my decisions for the future choices for the future may our errors recognized and repaired within us be no longer anything else than vain mirages incapable of producing any consequences and may we setting our foot firmly on all that should no more be on all ignorances all obscurities all egoisms boldly take our flight towards larger horizons and an intenser light a more perfect compassion a more disinterested love towards thee you see this word disinterested used very beautifully by the mother several places disinterested is where i don't have any selfish interest in this sense it is used because the word disinterested can be used in two ways one is uninterested that's not what she is saying disinterested what how will it benefit me that kind of love she says ki let us move with that attitude i think even if this little thing can be practiced it's a lifetime of sincerity and dedication to be able to reach this point when on you know end of year one can genuinely say this with the mother i salute thee o lord master of all life and i would proclaim thy reign upon earth and uh, january 1st 1914 what does she do is it's a long prayer i'll just read the first passage because it's very touching very sweet so what do people do normally when it's either they would uh, sit and meditate the the good guys you know will put a music and meditate or people wish or some people do the worst you can imagine all kinds of crackers and all this what does she she write to the supreme dispenser of all boons the ways mother has addressed the divine is itself uh, you know like uh, we have lalita sahasranam vishnu sahasranam if somebody would take out all the ways through which she has addressed the divine in prayers and meditation it will itself become a wonderful thing dispenser of all boons here one of the terms several places different terms will come to thee who justifies life by making it pure beautiful and good to thee master of our destinies and goal of our aspirations was consecrated the first minute of this new year this is how one wakes up to the new year so <clears throat> okay there's just three lines i'll read on january 3rd so we have this in kena upanishad and people give talks and commentaries yan mansana manute yena hur manomatam yat praniti so it's all about the life of a life the that which the mind cannot know but by which the mind is known okay then people have commentaries and how beautifully she is putting it thou are the life of a life and the light of a being thou art the master of our destiny <clears throat> and she goes through everything there are times when we just are blank we don't know what to do so what is the sadhana during the blank when somebody is in a state of blankness what are we supposed to do we see this january 5th 1914 where she says not a single idea in my head not one feeling in my heart a complete indifference towards everything and an insurmountable dullness so she is feeling that state of dullness we all go through it no so what do we do during that time we can't even aspire we can't even surrender so she says how can such a condition be of any use i am a veritable zero in the world this zero is not the higher zero the other zero then what does she spray 
For the rest, all that has no importance. And provided thy work is accomplished, thy manifestation takes place, and the earth becomes more and more thy harmonious and fruitful kingdom, it matters little whether I accomplish the work or not. When there is nothing that we can seek for ourselves, there is always something to seek for the earth. So she is praying for the whole earth, even in that state. <clears throat> and often, you know, we have nowadays this trend, uh, trend of um, three days, five days, ten days, course. Even in Shurabindu's yoga, now, you know, you have course, uh, and um, sometimes it's with money, crash courses, you know, you are taught certain methods, technique, all kinds of fanciful names. Why? Because you want some shortcut. Uh, divine McDonald's. Uh, so that you go there and you get a ready-made thing. What does the mother speak about it? She doesn't use this, this word, but look. Let us shun the paths which are too easy and without effort. Right in the beginning. That you go there, you will uh, have this course and after some time you have to learn technique and practice and come back. Very easy, very simple. But this is not yoga. Yoga is in real time. The entire Mahabharata is a yoga of sought for Arjuna. He has to go through all that battle. Others are in their own egoism and desire acting. But for Arjuna it's a yoga. In every sense of the word. And what that yoga is given in the Gita. What should be the inner state when you are on the battlefield. So, she says... Let us shun the paths which are too easy and without effort. Those paths which engender in us the illusion that we have arrived. There is something called as feel good factor. I do this meditation, I feel very nice. Yes, your meditation will test, be tested when you come out and somebody will say you are looking um, something, some <laughs> critical comment. <laughs> then the test will come. How is the meditation going on? So, uh, this is where she says, these are easy paths which make us feel the illusion. Let us shun the negligence which opens the door to every fall. So, what happens? Many people who follow a discipline, she speaks about it. They feel every day morning I am sitting for meditation two hours and I am somebody and someone. They don't realize that they are being negligent when they step out. How they deal with everyday life, with people, with situations, circumstances, everything is yoga. So that's where there is a negligence. And so let us shun the complacent self-admiration which leads towards every abyss. So this is how people who follow a discipline, they get into this idea, thought, I am somebody special. And then without saying to anyone, they start observing. I sit for two hours. Look at these fellows. They can't even... They don't even know how to meditate. They, they have not even read Mother and Shurabindu. All kinds of thoughts. And she says, this is actually opening the door to the abyss. What that person is or is not, is not the of importance. But how my egoism, my idea, complacency that I am doing this. So rest of the time I can afford to be whatever. So she cautions us. <clears throat> and then it goes on. Something very interesting because sometimes we are faced with circumstances. Why sometimes? All the time. Uh, we have no clue <laughs> why they are, they, that are there. We don't know when they will go, if they will go or not go. What is going to happen in the future? That's a fact of life. So we are told that, well, you, you do nishkam karma and seva, practice equanimity. All this we have heard. Okay, but you know, still the question arises, there is a mountain uh, uh, sitting or a cobra right in front of us. What do we do? That's not an easy situation. So she is showing us with her example. At every minute, all the unforeseen, the unexpected, the unknown is before us. At every minute, the universe is recreated in its totality and in each of its parts. So beautiful. At each moment we can recreate our own life if we are vigilant and conscious. We are given an opportunity. 
So, but what do we do? Still the question arises. So, when will the cobra go away? <laughs> so, here comes the answer. And if we had a truly living faith, if we had that absolute certitude of thy almighty power and thy sole reality, thy manifestation could at every minute be so evident that the whole universe would be transformed by it. So if there is a cobra, don't try to shoo away the cobra, don't try to run away the, from the cobra, invoke Shiva. He is the only person who can <laughs> take care of that. So to be in that state of aspiration, something so beautiful. And so she says, but we are such slaves of all that surrounds us. Ay, this is so dangerous, this may happen, that may happen. We are such a slave. And has preceded us. We are so much determined by the whole mass of what is manifested. And our faith is so feeble that we are still incapable of serving as intermediaries in the great miracle of transfiguration. So we immediately stick a label. This is not possible. That is not possible. So we don't see that, you know, on one side we have to become intermediaries of the divine with such a small faith. How can we become intermediaries? He's very beautiful. I've always used this as a kind of, uh, well, it's, let me read it. A teaching can be profitable only if it is perfectly sincere. That is to say, if it is lived at the time when it is imparted. This is what prayers and meditations are. Nowhere you will see, she is describing a mantra or a line from the Bible or a psalm from the Talmud, nothing. It's all that depth, that true inner sincerity, her aspiration she is sharing with us. And that's what makes it so beautiful, genuine. This is not a bhasya or a tika. This is not a repetition. It is something which is unique and that carries its beauty and power. <clears throat> so, uh, people often sometimes write off what can be done. This fellow is useless. Even people use words like wicked soul. Once somebody asked the mother, mother gave a good shouting, wicked soul? <laughs> what do you know? <laughs> All souls are beautiful. <laughs> there is no nothing like a wicked soul. Soul is a divine person. Human nature can have all kinds of things. So, is there hope for Ratnakar? We have read the story. Is there hope for Ravan? Ravan was a good guy when you compare many of the fellows today. I mean, compared to... <laughs> it's a relative thing. So, is there hope for people? One could ultimately turn to oneself and say, I have such tendencies. Is there hope? So she says, it is because of thy presence in each being. This is the hope. If you look at human beings, all of us, from what we are in the nature, there is no hope. But for the divine presence, nothing is impossible. It is because of thy presence in each being, O divine master of love. And now she is talking of love. That every man, even the most cruel can be accessible to pity and that even the vilest respects as if in spite of himself honor and justice. Even the wickedest, the vilest, most evil person, somewhere he will justify that I am doing it as a justice. Why? Because he somewhere deep inside he has a misunderstanding of justice. But yet, there is that little seed. He wants justice. Same thing, because of the love at the core of every human being, there is hope. And so many stories of the mother. Uh, of course, this whole place is, often people come, they come see us humans, and they um, go back and say, what kind of human beings? Human beings, by the way, are same everywhere. Okay, the surface nature, I have at least I have seen half a dozen ashrams, good ashrams. 
Shabinda had the same thing to say that I, human nature is the same everywhere. We don't know. When you get close, you will realize the same ego, ambition, everything comes. So, and yet, when people speak about that, that see here or elsewhere, it could be any place. So I tell them, see it the way you see it. If you see from one point of view, you will see human beings full of difficulties and defects and don't justify them, leave them. But if you see another point of view, you will see divine love. What is that love which has accepted all of us, in spite of us, and is carrying us, forgiving us, always giving us strength, hope. So look at this place, at least I can say this for sure now, about the ashram, it is a land of divine love. No other way you can understand extremes. And yet, she carries everyone. And everyone has hope. Everyone, the seed of faith begins to grow. So this is where the divine love is there. So, choices is another big problem. How do I choose? I should I take this road or that road? Mother has described that some people would like stand on a public square. Here also you will see because here there are squares so often. A, gadi, a car will come and stand at the crossroad. And the fellow is looking to the left, he is looking to the right. Please go a little ahead and look. You can turn around. No. Right there. So we are like that. Mind is like a public square. We don't know which way to go. So the mother is giving us a key, beautiful key. May every morning a thought rise with fervor toward thee, asking thee, what is the best we can do to manifest and serve thee? Now comes the key. Because we are asking the wrong question. We are asking which way to go. Keeping ourselves at the center. This is the problem. Which way will lead us to thee? So she is... Reminding us, may at each moment, amid the many kinds of multiple choice which we can make and which, in spite of their apparent insignificance, are always of a great importance, since according to our decision, we submit to one category of determinism or another. Based on our choice, the path opens. The path is actually in a way nothing but our choices. If you really look at it very simply, all karma yoga is about choices. So she gives the secret of the choice another place saying, to choose without preference and execute without desire. So in one line, karma yoga is summarized. So what should we then ask? We are looking, if I take this, will it benefit me? If I take this, will it be the right decision? Right decision with regard to what? Will I succeed? Will I be more comfortable? None of this is important from the yogi's point of view. This book is meant for those who want to take up yoga. Otherwise, one would say, make whatever choice your reason tells you highest possible and offer it to the divine. This is the ordinary karma yoga. But here she is asking us something else. May at each moment our attitude be such that it may be thy divine will which determines our choice. And thus it may be thou who givest the direction to all our life. So the simple prayer, I am going to choose in ignorance. You have to make the choice. Nobody else will make the choice. But ma, may it be thy will that inspires me to make the choice. So if one begins to do that, ten times one may make a mistake. Next ten times one may do flip-flop. Another ten times the margin of error reduces and finally one... Uh, knows the feel that yes, this is what one must make the choice. Which may be most impractical seen from another standpoint. Because practical minded people will say, why you have come back from America? <laughs> Leaving a good job. That's practical mindedness. No, for me also. Why here for such a good service you have left? So this is a practical way of looking at it. And they are right from a practical point of view. But there is another point of view which you, which people don't know, which an aspirant for wisdom and truth will take. 
This is a very, very interesting prayer of February 1st, 1914. Mother is from Paris. An evening in Paris. You know, people crave. Huh? Have you seen Paris? Now when they go to Paris, they go to see Eiffel Tower and everything. Huh? They basically go to enjoy. Let's not... But uh, sometimes as a token of this thing, they also go to mother's place by the way. Have <laughs> gone to Paris. It's okay. It's good to be honest about it. It's nothing wrong. Mother's house is inside. Carry that always. And mother herself said that now it's no more like um, that place. Uh, no more carries her atmosphere. Same thing. Shervindo spoke about even Chandanagar. He says, uh, there is no more of my atmosphere there. <laughs> You see, they are moving into the future. But that's not the issue. We are looking forward to go to London, Paris, Tokyo. Oh, every year we go abroad and we have gone there and come. What is mother's view of not about going? And again, it's not that anything wrong with going. But how does she see the life of these metropolis, the cities that never sleep? So, she says... How much greater is splendor than all that have gone before? This full prayer is February 1st, 1914. How marvelous a glory and light would be needed to draw these beings out of the horrible aberration in which they are plunged by the life of cities and so-called civilizations. No need to explain any further. Civilized countries, civilized nations. He says, what is that life? It is plunged. That's why he told to that Frenchman who wrote very not very good article about India. He says, such an arrogant person, he has passed by the side of the very God who could help. And then he, he says that an illiterate Indian peasant farmer is more knowledgeable than the educated person in Europe. That's how she made a remark. Because that life where you have all these, but what you are missing, the real thing, and that is the soul. And the soul is submerged in that city. Because life is fast track and all the time, from every side something or the other is entering into your, uh, through the senses. What a formidable and at the same time, Divinely sweet puza would be needed to turn aside all these wills from the bitter struggle for their selfish, mean and foolish satisfaction. This is the best description of a corporate, corporate life. You want to hear in three, four words? This is the description. Cities, okay. What is that life? Bitter struggle. For what? For their selfish, mean and foolish satisfactions. To snatch them from this vortex which hides death behind its treacherous glitter and turn them towards thy conquering harmony. Shurabindo's, there are some letters of Shurabindo, epistles from abroad, which he writes to Barin. I mean, it's not written. At one place he says, my, to my alter ego, like that. So there he says, how much ever you may say that West, this glitter, glamour, I have seen the hollow behind this glamour. He has seen those white ants which are eating it up. That one day it is destined to collapse. See, this is something now we are witnessing. They have spoken of this more than 100 years back. That how people, you know, Canada Chaloji, I mean, as if you are in the dream destination. Now you are able to see how dark these hubs are. France for that matter. All the uh, hub of this woke which has come up. Where you actually put your deepest self to sleep or give it a imitative turn. How these things, which are the hubs. London and all this civilization which rose like this and we can... Begin to see the ship has begun to sunk. Look at India. <laughs> 10,000 years. Rig Veda time. Still you will find Rig Veda. You will find the bullock cart and you will find the Mangalyan. 
Isn't it amazing? When you look at India, it's just amazing. You'll find the pristine purity of the Himalayas, you'll find the Thar Desert, you'll find the virgin forest in the northeast, you'll find such beautiful southern temples and hills, so beautiful. They carry their own beauty and majesty. All kinds of things, layers and layers. And nothing could destroy it. Something unique. Because at the core there is that light. That is the difference. And we like to make rules of life. Okay. Now you see these things you won't find in any scripture. You read any scripture. How to make rules of life. What should be. What what time should I get up. What time should I do. Later on people have made some scriptures. And turned them into a very rigid rule. So. (coughs) She says. For him who is integrally united with thee. February 7th. 1914 and therefore constantly conscious of what must most perfectly expresses thee in act under given circumstances no external role is necessary <laughs> the principles of life are in some nothing but make shift mean meant to diminish in the measure of the possible the ignorance of those who do not yet know thee so those who do not know the divine they need to make some rules. They are makeshift. What applies today may not apply tomorrow. So that's why she says to make rules for oneself and to make them as general. That is to say, as supple as possible is good, but on condition that they are considered as no more than artificial lights which should be employed only when the full and natural light of the communion with thee is lacking. Shavinda says that in one of his aphorism, that the lamp of Vedanta is required when you are going through a dense forest. But he who has discovered Krishna, <laughs> no light is needed. <laughs> then you don't say according to the scripture. Vedanta says so. Then you simply say, Krishna, let's play, no, take us where. He'll take you through. Sometimes he'll do climbing the tree, sometimes take a bath, sometimes Kurushetra will appear magically, but you are with Krishna. So this is the difference. And she says these rules should be supple, even when they have to be made, they should be supple. And one should know that they should not be turned into an absolute thing. Not only for ourselves, but even for others. We keep telling others, do this, don't do this. So, next passage comes something. Beautiful. That is why when meditating on the attitude which one should have towards all who approach us so as not only to abstain from doing them any harm but above all to strive to do them the greatest good. People come and say what should we do? He says now if you don't want to harm them and you want to do them the greatest good possible And that means to help them best in making the supreme discovery, the discovery of thee in them, which is the greatest good. So mother mother is telling us, what should we tell them? (laughs) What should we do? People approach. And we very, you know, morning you get up, you must do meditation, one hour and this technique and that method. What is she saying? It seemed to me that no rule was vast and supple enough to adapt itself to thy law. Is you can't give any rule. So what you should give? The sole true way was to be always in communion with thee. So that any solution might be perfectly adapted to the infinite diversity of circumstances. Never such a vast. See what helps you to come in contact with the divine. You have to discover your own way. I have discovered my own way. Or she has Discovered it for me. You have to discover for yourself. You have to figure out for yourself. But criteria should be what helps you to commune with the divine. That should be the thing. Now you see, then actually if you apply, this is a practical rendering of what Sri has said. The only rule which was given in the ashram. That too because people wanted that some rules, there were no rules here. In the beginning if you see, no rules so people kept some rules, some rules, some rules. So from one of the letter of Sri a, a sentence was taken out. 
So when people joined the ashram, this rule was given. What was the rule? The rule was always behave as if the mother was looking at you <laughs> because indeed she is always present. Now you see, what is this rule? The same thing she is elaborating. See what helps you to come in contact with the divine presence. That's it. As simple as that. And for each one, it will be different. So beautiful. See, these things, again, no scripture will tell us all this. <laughs> and then, the more number of people we meet, the more we are confused. <laughs> Mother once told, you know, that if, if I send, you see, in the ashram context, some of these tall words never became trustees. Have you noticed this? Champaklalji was not a trustee. Then Pranabda was not a trustee. Those she had told that any time you want to become a trustee, you can tell them. <laughs> then Ravindraji was not a trustee. He was for the work. So she said, if I send, if he becomes trustee, then he will only have one criteria, work. <laughs> How many hours you are working? <laughs> and if Dada becomes a trustee, he will only see the physical education part. <laughs> A playground sincerely. Does he go regularly and sincerely? So each one will see in their own way. Whereas what is needed is that vastness, suppleness. Each of us tend to do that. If you ask somebody, should I come to the ashram? Yes, yes. Somebody once told me, on the airport I met a person who's just before joining the ashram, he went and asked a very senior sadhak. Uh, Really, who has been with Sri Aurobindo for a long time. And he was sharing this with me. Uh, he said, uh, I asked him. And he said, uh, where else can you practice Sri yoga? I mean, it was implied that other than the ashram. I kept quiet. But I thought this is really erroneous. There are people outside who practice. I, I had myself gone through that. So I am well aware but we have a tendency because somebody comes early and being joined. So he thinks this is the only way. But somebody else who has been outside may well say the divine is everywhere. But for each one, you have to see, feel for yourself. Where you feel, you feel uh, most comfortable in terms of the contact. So people often ask me, why you have come? Is it about ashram institution? I say, none of these things. Nobody comes from an institution. One comes from Mother and Shurabindo. For me, Samadhi is more than enough. <laughs> now, it's a way you connect, each one's. Worked in relic center everywhere, but it's Samadhi. That's why people come. They come from thousands of miles away. So, it's not about for each one that some people working in the center progress like anything. Some people have never come, I know, but they just read Savitri spend their time in solitude and so beautifully they are progressing. So that's why she says, <clears throat> she further clarifies this, February 12, 1940. Now see, this secret we won't get anywhere in any scripture on uh, karma yoga. Karma yoga, you will have those standard things, I don't want to repeat them. I mean, it's a wonderful scripture, but look at here. So she says, when we are united with the divine and then we look at all the circumstances. One is in our ignorance. When conscious with thy supreme consciousness, we consider all terrestrial circumstances, we perceive all their relativity. And we say, doing this or that has after all no great importance. <laughs> How she liberates us. And gives us such a vast Catholic law. This is Sanatan Dharma. If you want to use the term. She says doing this or that. And she is saying from what point of view? From the Supreme's point of view. We go to the Supreme and say, you know, six hours I am working in my department regularly. You say, okay. Somebody will go and say, I am just enjoying life. Okay, <laughs> Supreme Water. <laughs> he is playing with himself. There is a person here. This is a first hand direct story. He came here because of somebody's influence. But he came. when he came, he saw this man is only... He goes to the dining room, eats, he's enjoying, happy, everything. So he wondered, after three years, he asked him, Dada, can I ask you something? Huh? Uh, why don't you do sadhana? 
He said, am I going to do according to your advice or according to Shurabindo's advice? He said, what Shurabindo's advice? What, what do you mean? He said, when I asked him, he just simply told me, eat, sleep, stay happy. <laughs> now, see, Dara, Dara was, what was the word given to him? Be happy. What did mother tell Champaklalji? Be simple, be happy, do your work as well as you can. Keep yourself op- always open towards me. This is all that is asked of you. So she is saying from the supreme standpoint, he, we are so much, you know, look at that fellow, he is doing, you know, 12 hours of work. And are you first thing in Karmi Yoga is none of us is doing work. Bandar Ram Nachare. Sabahi Nachavat Ram Gosai. It's a lovely line. All are dancing to the tune of the Lord. So she says, when I consider, I see that doing this or that has after all no great importance. Yet, such and such a way of action will be the best utilization of such and such a faculty or temperament. All actions, whatever they may be, even the most contradictory in appearance, most contradictory in appearance, mark the words, can be the expression of thy law in the measure in which they are imbued with the consciousness of that law, which is not a law of practical application. What is Sanatana Dharma? It's not about practical application. Capable of being translated into principles or rules in the ordinary human consciousness. This is not Sanatana Dharma. What is Sanatana Dharma? The law, the divine law. She is now revealing to us. But which is a law of attitude, of a constant and general consciousness, something which is not at all expressed by formulas, but which is lived. That's why when mother was asked a definition of truth, she said, you can't define it. But mother still, she says, see, you can't define truth. The moment you define, you will uh, put it, um, uh, it, it, you lose it. So, But all who are sincere to know the truth can know it. It is there in the heart. Then she says, the the only word that truly captures it is dharma. And to each one, dharma appears differently. It is not about external observances, external rules, rituals. That's not sanatana dharma. Sanatana dharma, that's why it is vast. It's about discovering the inner law of truth in each one. And that manifestation which each one is in unique. To Buddha, Sanatana Dharma is abandon everything and seek the ultimate uh, healing or the way for mankind. For Arjun, Sanatana Dharma is pick up the bow and arrow, fight and conquer. Look at, totally contradictory. How are you going to reconcile? Only by knowing the divine will in Arjuna is different Divine will in Arjuna is different and the divine will in Buddha is different. The divine will in Sri Ramakrishna is different and the divine will in his own disciple Vivekananda is different. Sri Ramakrishna never went out as we know just a small circle of disciples but Vivekananda going across the sea. So we cannot make such rules. This is for from that state. But, she says, but as soon as we fall back into the ordinary consciousness. So, she is giving us a comprehensive thing. This for those who want to take up yoga, who are on the path of yoga. What is important is the attitude. But if we are living an ordinary life, in the ordinary consciousness, nothing should any longer be treated lightly with indifference. On one side it is the attitude, for those who are on the path. For otherwise, in ordinary life, The smallest circumstances, the smallest acts have a great importance and should be seriously considered. Because if you make a choice which is just irrational, you are driven by impulse, then obviously life will hit back very hard. So she is giving us a very vast... uh, All this, I I tell you, if you want to understand Sanatana Dharma without using the word... Read prayers and meditations, you will understand Sanatana Dharma in real life and practice. It's much more. <clears throat> so she speaks again the peace of perfect disinterested. 
and then there is a beautiful prayer on our birthdays we wish we look back what does the divine mother write just the day after our birthday on her birthday also there is a beautiful prayer february 21 1914 where she prays for all and but on february 27 2 is that famous experience she described that as a child of 11 to 13 she would go out about the age of 13 when i was a child about the age of 13 and for about a year every night as soon as i was in bed it seemed to me that i came out of my body and rose straight up above the house then above the town this 13 year old is having this experience huh? what are we going to even put her in you know people speak about <laughs> that's why shobindo said the mother is not a disciple of shobindo <laughs> she had all her realizations before coming to pondicherry at 13 i saw myself then clad in a magnificent golden robe longer than myself and as i rose that robe lengthened spreading in a circle around me to form as it were an immense roof over the town then i would see coming out from all sides men women children old men sick men unhappy men they gathered under the outspread robe imploring help recounting their miseries their sufferings their pains in reply the robe supple and living stretched out to them individually and as soon as they touched it they were consoled or healed and enter back into their body happier and stronger than they had ever been before coming out of it this was her favorite activity when children at 13 want to buy dresses go places and of course this is where she discovered the old man who was the personification of the man of sorrows we have done this prayer in great detail uh, on aroma so i won't uh, <clears throat> again circumstances always we are complaining of circumstances <laughs> circumstances don't seem to leave <laughs> human beings though we do not know which is better which is worse you know socrates last speech when he is been sentenced to death and he is told that you have to drink hemlock and he is described this is how you have to drink poison will come finally it'll reach here then you know you are going to die <laughs> so he is told that you are going so he is asked to make a last speech last anything he wants to say so he describes what he has to describe it's a very beautiful speech at the end he says my friends countrymen i am going to the shadows and you people live here but whose fate is better i do not know this is the punchline <laughs> i mean he just takes everybody with surprise whose fate is better <laughs> and truly everybody is forgotten socrates is still alive so law of circumstances oh lord i foretell the infinite happiness which is the share of those whose life is wholly consecrated to thee this is what is important and this does not depend upon outer circumstances but upon the state of the being and its more or less of illumination a perfect consecration to thy law cannot but bring about modifications in the mass of circumstances if you want to change circumstances change your consciousness there is no second way you may try everything rao ketu everything but if you change yourself circumstances will change it's like you have to be you have to go to next level but if you don't change yourself and try things outwardly you will still be in that same sorrow so i mean to say that it is not in given circumstances always the same for all that thy law is manifested for every one for every one this manifestation is different according to his temperament that is to say according to the mission which is for the time being assigned to him in the physical life so for each one the circumstances are stances are according to what they are meant to express so they they will be different for different people i had to travel so much as a child okay child means 10 year onwards hostel then outside boarding then air force 
changes, posting, meeting different people, different homes. Now I understand, it has made it so easy for me during travels. <laughs> so, <laughs> I said, ah, this is so, con- it, it's come so naturally. Because from childhood I have been traveling, <laughs> somewhere or the other. So when I look back, I understand, it was a great help. And then this master thing, March 1st, 1914, it is in oneself that there are all the obstacles. It is in oneself that there are all the difficulties. It is in oneself that there is all the darkness and ignorance. Even if we were to travel across the whole earth, bury ourselves in some solitary place, to those who want to go to Himalaya Kholi number 22, break with all our habits, they will wear a girwa and you know, assume new habits. Lead the most ascetic life. Still, some bond of illusion held back the consciousness far from thy absolute consciousness. If some egoistic attachment deprived us of the integral communion with thy divine love, we should be no nearer to thee. You get attached to the sannyas. Sannyasi ji hai. Oh, picture dekhne nahi jate hai. He is a sannyasi. He cannot enter the cinema hall. He cannot eat in a restaurant. Are you are seem to be more bound by <laughs> by somebody who is inwardly free. He is a sannyasi. So sannyasi to follow. Even sometimes, you know, even food has to be cooked in a certain way and it has to be had in certain kind of patram. But what is that freedom? <laughs> True sannyasi. Sri Ramakrishna long back predicted about Swami Vivekananda. Somebody complained to him about him. And he said, Narendra, I know. Even if he goes out, sits in a hotel, drinks wine with beautiful women, I know that he won't uh, fall. He will lift everybody by his touch. <laughs> so, true sannyas is this. It's not about outer circumstances. And then, of course, the journey begins. Geneva, March 6, 1914. When people move, how do we react? People who suffer when we leave because they are attached. We are after, so, uh, yes, yes, we will not forget and then we are on cell phone, future, everything. We are not bothered, uncaring, insensitive. And we think that is something very great. Or we are too attached, oh my God, and you know, they are crying. What is the right attitude? So she says, after I had acutely suffered from their suffering, I turned toward thee in an attempt to heal it by infusing into it a little of the divine love, source of all peace and happiness. Then she tells us, if suffering comes, this is suffering due to emotional attachment. We must not run away from suffering. We must not love and cultivate it either. We must learn how to go down deep enough in it to make it a lever which will have the power to force open the doors of the eternal consciousness and enter into the serenity of thy unwearying oneness. To discover that state of oneness. And then she says, Certainly this sentimental and physical attachment, which produces a wrench when the body is separate, is childish from a certain point of view. But at the same time, she says, Is not this attachment, this personal affection and unconscious effort of men, to realize externally as far as possible that fundamental oneness towards which they are ever tending without even being aware of it. If only we read these prayers and live in this state, we will not be indifferent and insensitive, living only for ourselves, saying, no, 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 mother does not want us to. Uh, All kinds of things we quote in her name. But look how she is revealing to us the great secret of love. And as she travels on board the Kagamaru ship, March 7, she, you know, it went for a, the ship had, there was a storm. So she goes inside and she lies on the bed, comes out of the body and sees that there are small little vital entities which are creating turbulence. She goes and tells them, peace, 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 no worries. No worries, and they all leave. So she calls it the sign of the divine intervention. And again, how we should be. And then she prays for everybody on the ship. 
she prays for who all she adopt i adopted all the inhabitants of this ship marched and enveloped them in an equal love and that so in each one of them something of thy consciousness would awake so she takes all of them and takes them in a consciousness and prays how fortunate we are that's all i can say <laughs> then as she is traveling people write travel logs i saw this oh that sea you know i saw the albatross i saw this bird look what she is some people describe that sea sickness this is what they describe look what mother is noting in a diary those who live for thee and in thee may change their physical surroundings their habits climate milieu but everywhere they find the same atmosphere they carry that atmosphere in themselves in their thought constantly fixed on thee everywhere they feel at home for everywhere they are in thy house so beautiful to live everywhere as if it is her house it changes the entire way of uh, dealing with circumstances people situations and then she is full of gratitude for those who have kept awake and steering the ship and all the seen and unseen guardians the storms the winds everybody this is such a vastness and thus see <clears throat> there is one prayer i'll not uh, read in detail we had read during the corona period march 17 1914 where she speaks about when physical conditions are a little difficult what we should do we should know how to surrender completely before thy will holding life or death health or illness our integral being enters immediately into harmony with thy law of love and life whatever you want to do with me i am yours and at the end of this she says but the supreme science o lord is to be united with thee to confide in thee to live in thee to be thou and then there is nothing that is impossible to the man manifesting thy omnipotence this is a beautiful prayer when we are sick i think one last prayer we'll read before she reaches pondicherry march 21 1914 oh why be restless and demand that when one self is concerned things should go in a particular way and not in another i am going there what will happen will this happen won't it happen will i become an ashramite immediately or i have to wait for one year two year what is there <laughs> somebody once asked me how many years is i said four years gone who oh, have not yet become ashramite so and so become i said i said in hindi that in i said bhagwan ki chokhat par padhe kya problem hai <laughs> kaam karne ko mil raha hai i am at the threshold of the lord's house it's up to him when he will open the door and let me in but he has given me work what what else is needed so you see that's how so she says oh why be restless why determine that such and such a set of circumstances shall be the best possible expression and then throw oneself into a hard struggle so that these possibilities may be realized so what we should do instead she says we should instead use this energy to will in the calm of an inner confidence that it may be thy law which triumphs everywhere and always over all difficulty all darkness all egoism this is our state and then she speaks about pessimists and optimists and one okay one last one because after that comes this is march 24 1914 we make mistakes rather we make mistakes is the law of life <laughs> exception is we do the right thing <laughs> so so what we should do when we have made an error what we understand that oh i should have done it this way i wish so what we should do 
but in the presence of an error and false step taken. You have taken a false step. Something which you realize after some time. The true thought should have, we should have is not to say to ourselves, I should have done better. I should have done this instead of that. No, that's not what is required. What we should do is, now that is done. I should have, should not have is no meaning. But rather, I was not sufficiently identified with the eternal consciousness. I must strive to realize better this definitive and integral union. So all that is required is, wherever I am, whatever place I have reached, now the next step is what? To realize more and more union with the divine which was not sufficient enough. So one has taken possibly a step which one shouldn't have taken. Doesn't matter. One has moved along. Time has moved along. So to use everything to be more and more identified with the divine. So we'll stop here and continue next week. Namaste.